The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and Brew Bar. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Twilight Saga Edition. We're talking Eclipse today. I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, a Twilight lover. I don't know what else to say. Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Doesn't he ever wear a shirt? <laughs> One of the reasons I think this movie is head and shoulders above the others in the series is how knowing and self-aware it is about some of the more exploitative aspects of the series, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't talk at all. I don't know how we missed it in the last episode about one of the most exploitative shots I've ever seen of Robert Patterson, Pattinson, Walking in slow motion away from a Volvo. Oh, my God. It's so funny you say that because I thought the same thing about us not talking about it because (laughs) uh, my third note from that movie is Edward can still walk in slow motion for sure. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) But it was I, I remember looking at that shot and thinking, I I know something's being objectified here. Right. But is it a person or an object? <laughs> With slow mo, you're never sure. Yeah, you 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 are uh, unapologetic about your dislike of of slow motion. And I have uh, said in the past, if you're gonna do it, it better work. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense when product placement is your priority, as it clearly was in that shot. You want to get as much of that Volvo on screen as possible. Although in this movie, it seems they just buy him another Volvo. Well, that's, you know, I mean, I would change from uh, bad to good on all of these movies if they were all called uh, the Twilight Saga Eclipse brought to you by Volvo. Like if each one ended with brought to you by Volvo. You know, I'd be on board. You know what, Mike? I guarantee there was a meeting about that. <laughs> it reminds me of... Uh, have you seen that documentary about uh, Dana Carvey's sketch show? I have very recently, and what an extraordinary <laughs> piece of uh, documentary filmmaking that is. Just a murder's row of writers on that show. But when they show to like several people on the show, when they show that... That ABC commercial for the very special home improvement. <laughs> that was my also my favorite moment. Uh, yeah, amazing. Once they once they real yeah like the the moment retrospectively they realized that they never had a chance right. because they were still they were up against a completely different era of broadcast comedy. <laughs> where like you know where sincerity where one of the kids yeah one mattered. of the kids is on. Yeah, one of the kids is on drugs or something like that, and so it's going to be a very (laughs) heartfelt, pull-at-the-heartstrings episode of Home Improvement. And so you literally get the voice saying, this week on a very very special Home Improvement, followed by the Diet Mug Root Bear Dana Carvey Show. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking great. And as, I mean, while that might sound like a tangent... I gotta say, this is this is the same the same uh, dichotomy of after school special and pure commercial. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just funny. There's there's like you said. I think this movie stands head and shoulders above the other movies. It really um, does, and I'm glad I'm glad that I'm not alone in thinking that. Yeah, I mean, I'm only, I mean, I'm only talked to you about it, so maybe it's just True. the two of us. But I can't imagine anyone looks at this and doesn't think it's the sharpest tool in the box. Twi- yeah, Twilight I, I agree. 
And we spoke a little bit to this in the last episode. This movie, it's a 2010 movie directed by David Slade, who we talked about. Yeah. We talked about the movies we like, uh, Hard Candy, 30 Days a Night. He's done plenty of television, some great Black Mirror episodes. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes goes up on this movie from whatever is in the 20... 28%. 28, I want to say, yeah. yeah. And it, this one goes up to 48%. Okay, uh, so, the, yeah. That's we're, a significant we're not, jump. We're, we're not on an island here. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And then beyond that, it's a budget of $68 million, so we're still not obscenely dumping money into these movies yet. Uh, opening weekend of 64.8, so we almost get our money back right there. 300.5 in the USA and 698.4 worldwide. Yeah, it's these it's, movies are mega hits. It's interesting because once again, I I didn't sort of I I didn't think about I didn't have the thought that, that there was a lot of money on screen. I just thought that what they have on screen they're using incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I never never thought oh that's you know that's uh, impre you know that's impressive in terms of production value. I just thought it's like. Eh, David Slade really knows what he's doing with this material, whatever he's given to like effects wise or yeah, you know, I felt the same way. Uh, set wise, yeah. Well, and I think I spoke to this in our last episode, or maybe it was in our introductory episode in our ranking. But uh, we finally move into the Imbass world and <laughs> the world of cold opens for this movie. Yes. <laughs> And not just that, but it's a good cold open. It's effective. It's more than a good cold open. I mean, yeah. you know, we've we've already gushed over it, but I mean, it's a it for those of you who haven't seen it or don't remember, um it's an invisible vampire sneak attack on a rainy night. Mhm. And just just to put that in context, right? The equivalent of an exciting incident in New Moon was a misunderstanding of what a cliff diving is. <laughs> right. That counts as an exciting incident in New Moon. This is a big gear change here. Yes. In the first few moments of the movie, we have a genuine, uh, a genuinely exciting, suspenseful, and terrifying se- sequence. Right. That blows everything that you've seen so far from New Moon off screen in those terms. <laughs> it's i mean overall this movie to me pulls off an amazing trick which is to to build on and enhance what new moon gave us right i was just going to mention that while keeping all the pleasures of that movie intact and simultaneously course correcting where they need to mm-hmm. yeah. i mean what more can you ask for a se- from a sequel really it's doing everything that a sequel should do. I think so. Yeah. And I was, because my second note is, uh, you know, we leave we leave New Moon on the cliffhanger. Yeah, the cliffhanger of... about, <gasps> marry me, followed by... <gasps> yeah. <laughs> this movie picks up after our cold open right to that moment, and it's a great piece of exposition. I have you that know everything. Note. Yeah. You know everything that's been going on in their relationship since the last movie ended in 30 seconds. Yeah, if you make Marry it... me, no, <laughs> I'll do this if you do that. Like, you, you realize that this is, like, the fight, the playful fight that yeah. this couple has been having since the last movie ended. And it's great. It's yeah. done. It's done so well. Yeah, anyone who's, who's you know, writing a sequel... Um... And anxious about, well, how do I fill the viewer in on what just happened without hitting them over the head with it? Right. Should look to this movie. You know, they managed to recap the ending from the last movie without doing it literally. You know, she, you know, he, he says, marry me. We don't have any little boy penis. We don't have a catch up. Yeah. She, so he says, marry me. She says, change me. And then we yeah. get a little bit of follow-up with the conversation with the dad, which is, again, pitched perfectly in terms of this is a conversation they could be having, but it's also reminding us what has happened. Mm-hmm. And that's so, yeah, like you say, it's all done with dialogue, no recap montages to, to uh, yet. <laughs> right. We will get there. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, a ver- like an incredibly assured start for a, a movie that's picking up from a, another one and is continuing the story um, directly. Right. And that's the other that's the other amazing thing about this movie is that there is no new major plots of substance. We as are, I said, right. We, as I said we, in the last episode, we are finally wrapping up a story arc that started in the first fucking movie. Yeah, we're in the third that, act yeah, of, of it, the Victoria storyline. <laughs> right, and the Victoria storyline happened by chance. <laughs> It's not well, like it was a major... Too, I wouldn't dig too deep into the issue of chance. I think everything in these movies is happening by chance, as you have pointed out on many occasions. Yes, yes. I mean, that's that's the that's the major mode of these, of these movies, and that's why this movie is so much more successful to me. Yes, this storyline started by happenstance and nonsense, <laughs> but it's now... <laughs> it is now the central plot of this movie. Yeah, I've David, I've written down at least three times in my notes. There is more story to this story <laughs> in this movie. Well, it's it's as you're saying. He, David Slade, and and the the screenwriters and the producers found the story in the story. Yeah, they found the story in a story that was going nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like you basically the David Slade's come in and John Favreau'd this shit. That's like <laughs> Disney Star Wars sequels going nowhere. You know, why don't we explore something that's actually interesting? Let me Mando this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Before Mando was a thing. Right. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think of uh Bryce Dallas Howard joining the cast as Victoria now? Does that feel sloppy or is this a welcome addition? Oh, because she wasn't there before, right? I mean, no. I mean, it's it made sense to to it made which, sense. by the way, I think it was just like a scheduling, right? It error, ma- I think it made sense why. to not have her up to this point, and it made a lot of sense for me for her to be more active as an antagonist at this point. Hmm. Um. Because you know this whole. Uh, the kind of through line of this movie is, you know, that that is an army of newborn vampires who are tasked basically with killing one family, as I can mm-hmm. basically understand. And um, uh, so it seemed like the right time for me. I was grateful for it. Um, it's a good. I think she's very engaging as Victoria. She's great. Yeah, I I mean I I uh, you know, I'm I'm as you've noticed very generous to a lot of the performances in these movies, but uh this is one of the more generous than of, you should be to yeah, Taylor one of Lautner. The, definitely one of the best. Well, what do you well, let's get let's get there. What do you think <laughs> did 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 you think there was a lift in his performance in this movie? No. Okay, interesting. Did you think there was a temporary lift in his in his performance in this movie? Before it got bad again. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I've already Because it spoken... gets very bad. <laughs> yeah. I've already spoken to this fact that I think it's strange that he is a very engaging and charming person. Definitely. So he is able to draw you in. But when I look at his technical work as an actor, it's not very good. I will recommend to you... In support of that point, the first point about him being good, and exa- <laughs> on exactly those terms, Cuckoo, a British-American comedy co-production with okay. the British comedian actor Greg Davis, hmm. in a double act with Greg Davis, Taylor Lautner just flies to new heights, and a, and a spin-off of that, so. Cuckoo is a TV series. They also do a series of online shorts based on a game show that um, Greg Davis hosts called Taskmaster, in which Mm -hmm. he gives celebrities tasks to perform. All right. And uh, 
So look those up on YouTube, look up that series, and you will see why I have such a soft spot for Taylor Lautner. In the right, right. context, I'll also say that this, charm like... just like it jumps off the screen. I okay. think I think the character that's being written for him here is a big part of what prevents him from doing that. I think it restrains that's... him in, in the wrong way. I, I'll admit freely that that's part of also the problem is that the character of Jacob I have major problems with. Um, I think spe- you need and to... Actually, yeah. strangely, a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, he, I have the biggest problem with him in this movie. Absolutely. He's a piece of shit in this movie. <laughs> like, I think I think they are, they've, they've written a turn in the character towards the lascivious... That yeah, there's just a shitty maleness. Which would have been fine if you had cast a different actor, but in Taylor yeah, Lawton's hand, I just don't buy it. It doesn't sit well with me when she's saying lines like, I don't feel that way about you, and his response is, I don't buy it. <laughs> well, he also at one point sort of says, uh, you know... And says, I, I'm I, not gonna stop. He says, I promise not to kiss you until you ask. And I'm like, right yes, after yes, that her, is the, the basis of consent. Oh, yeah, he doesn't follow those rules. But I was right. like, I'm like, okay, so at least people <laughs> writing this movie know the basics of consent. He tells her, you're rushing to make up your mind because you're afraid you'll change your mind. Yeah. Like, there's just such an egocentric, you know, man boy, yeah. teenage bullshit to that that uh just doesn't sit well with me and some of that you know vampire werewolf class hierarchy comes into that as well because we're continually told that the vampires and the werewolves are are sort of the same but when you break it down it's about animals who can control themselves and animals who can't in terms of at least in terms of the cullen family you know apparently the the rest of the vampires around the world have uh, or, uh, mixed mixed ability in terms of that. In um, terms of control, yeah. right. But in the werewolf community, it's the idea is like they're closer to just being savage animals, which well, I think and, speaks to uh, so the sort of white, dark uh, I was just going to ask you, so how well does that sit with you with the idea that the darker-skinned people, the Native American people, have to play the the, the monsters that can't control themselves? Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 lurching back into some, you know, very old monster movie stereotypes like, you know, King Kong. Yeah. Uh, the, the origins of the zombies is kind of Haitian, uh, Haitian men lusting after white women. Um, the one thing that I think the series does well is that. Which with each movie, because there's there's always stupid shit in these movies about people jumping to wild conclusions and making decisions based off those wild, you know, not so much wild here. assumptions that they have that they have no evidence for. Yeah. One, yes, that's that's it. It happens the least in this movie. But the other thing that the series does do well is that progressively these two groups start working together yeah that's a nice to the extent that by the end they are they are on the same side so that's another good impasse we're definitely in impasse territory the villains become the heroes and vice versa sure and we're sort of meeting in the middle there terminator 2 style Um, (laughs) right fast and furious whatever style Uh, (laughs) fast and furious all of them style fast and furious miscellaneous (laughs) <laughs> um yeah well i thought what another another really a really interesting thing about this movie is a is as i've sort of said that the, the level of self-awareness that it might and i i repeat might have on occasions um like i'm genuinely torn on how progressive this movie thinks it is and how much i think it is right like the, it's a fact I'm also like torn the, on how progressive they think they want to be, and wh- like whether or not it's yeah. even just happenstance. Like everything's on the table. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was really interested. We, you know, we get the history of werewolves through the vampire perspective. Like they tell us about the history of vampires, but mm-hmm. but they are allowed to narrate their own history. Right, and they're also, and you know, obviously that's like. 
you can very easily read into that, you know, the history of white colonization of native cultures and, you know, they, they get the power of historical narrative over the people they've colonized. Is that there? I don't know, but it's a fact that that's what happens in this movie. I don't know if there's a commentary on it or it's just there, but I have that feeling throughout this movie of like, it, it's pulling, there's something in the acting and the direction and the writing that's pulling in, I think, just the right direction of, we need to question some of these assumptions that we're making here about race, yeah. about women, about gender. Uh, but in the end, I don't, I, I don't think it successfully uh, deals with any of those problems, and and often they kind of come down to the worst, uh, the worst. They come down on the worst side of side of that. Of the, yeah, of I the, can't disagree of the of the issue. But I felt that in this movie more than, and I don't think it's an illusion. It more in this movie, I felt more the sense of a pull towards um being crit you know <laughs> critical race theory it's a word that you'll you'll hear a lot in this in this uh timeline um mm -hmm. that there's a pull towards that but maybe maybe not everyone's on board with it maybe they were too scared to go through with it maybe in in the end you know the old cliches and conventions of monster movies which are inherently prejudice just like crush the whole One thing out. down <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right so again well, everything is on the table but this movie made me think about those issues more than the other movies did yeah exactly and i, I think that's that's where this movie sets itself apart as well all right let's take our first break and uh we'll come back and we'll discuss more about western Twilight saga. Eclipse. Yeah, the, exactly. Through the prism of the Twilight movies. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking great. We'll be right back. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the Twilight Saga Eclipse, a 2010 sequel directed by David Slade. Tom, mm. I think this movie brings up an important philosophical question. And that question is... More than one. Should a vampire go to Florida? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all get different things from movies. That was one of my... <laughs> wait, wait. I don't... <laughs> Should a vampire go to Florida? Remember, he, he, she goes to see her mom, and Edward goes with her, and she and her mom are sitting outside in the sun talking about, you know their relationship, and he's just sulkingly sitting inside because, yeah. you know, vampires can't go out in the sun. That's a terrible idea. I just thought that he was really funny. He goes to a lot funny. of sunny places, though. I know, yeah, he does. Like Rome and Rio. <laughs> right. Places generally known for their heat. <laughs> um, yeah, the other thing that bumped me, uh, not that it, I don't think it's the first time we've seen her, but... Um, the casting of Bella's parents, uh, two actors both who have both been in 
the series 24. Yeah. And both paid, played characters that have persecuted the Bauer family. I mean, I'm perfectly willing to put it down to like, you know, they're on a list in central casting. Yeah, I was going to say. purpose. <laughs> but it's just like intertextually, it's very odd. And I immediately did not trust her mother. And that took me down a rabbit hole that went nowhere. <laughs> because she's Nina Myers. I know. She's the CTU mole. She is indeed. And if you, you know, uh, I'm sorry, if that's a spoiler to you. It's been 20 years. It's been guys. a while. It's 20 years. Come on. I'm not. It's a 20 year spoiler. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Um, <laughs> you know, because I, I mentioned their like shitty male behavior and even Edward has some shitty male behavior in this. The idea that he says things to her like, I trust you. It's him. I don't trust. All of that shit just gets under my skin. Uh, This is because all of these are reasons for why she should break up with both of these guys. Yeah, it's exact. I feel exactly the same how I felt about the. How does a hundred and nine year old vampire not have more maturity in their uh, in his relationships? I have stuff to say about that in other movies as well. Not this one, Uh but um. It's I, for me. It's exactly the same issue that we were talking about before the break when it came to com, comes to race and class. Mm-hmm. Um, here, I you know, we continue this idea of like men making decisions for women without their right. agency. And again, this will get worse for mm-hmm. sure. It's tip of the iceberg. Um. But I had the same feeling here where I was like, boy, it's really clear that they are making all these decisions without her. Whereas in other parts of the movie, she's fighting to have more agency and control over her own decisions. So it did make me wonder whether this is one of the points of the movie that's like pulling against the the established narrative that it's fine for men to decide what women do with their bodies and their lives. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of pull in that. However, the ending of the movie uh, boils it all down again to um, it's better to have a boyfriend than to have autonomy. Right. And that's a shame because the Stephen a, King for a lot of the movie, it's not back. going in that direction. Yeah, I right. Don't think. Right. Um, and when they like when they have that tent to tent, uh, heart to heart. Um, I just thought I'd take a dramatic pause there. Uh, tent to tent, heart to heart. Um, where she when she's sleeping or dying, right? Uh, <laughs> or dying from hypothermia. We don't know at this point. Uh, and she should die of hypothermia. There's no world in which she doesn't. Um, I, I, you know, in moments like that, and when they're they're sort of like arguing about what she should do without her being in the room, that they're actually directorially right, and in the writing pointing out, it's like, guys, this is not on. <laughs> Unfortunately, it it doesn't really get called out in a meaningful way, and the reverse of that situation happens at the end of the movie, so it's all for naught, really. Yeah, but yeah, very shitty men. Almost to the point where you're aware of how shitty they am, from how shitty they are, because the movie's telling you that, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, more more so than any other movie in the series. True, there's that, and I don't, you know, it also somewhat lends itself to the melodramatic qualities of these movies, which people seem to really like. And yeah. and even I admit I that I can indulge in, in the melodramatic qualities of these movies. I just wish they picked other avenues to to let those lay bare. Um, Completely. Yeah. But but like you said, I, I especially give this movie I cut this movie the most slack because uh like like you said, it 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 cr- at least crawls up to the shore of trying to <laughs> to somewhat talk about these movies or these these themes and these ideas. Yeah. Uh, but also, like you said, they just back off of it towards the end because at the end of 
any Twilight movie, the overarching point is you you got to have a boyfriend. Yeah. And, you know, her final monologue is really kind of glossing over the, the fact that it's all come down to that in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the rest of the movie, it does feel genuinely more complicated than that. Um, but then, you know, I also acknowledge that the, that this movie also has to play that game. Like, it's, it's course, you know, it's course correction on, on, on like, things that bump you about New Moon. Like, why were the werewolves eating blueberry muffins? <laughs> why weren't they chowing down on fried chicken? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's sort like, we fixed that. Um... But it's also got to circle back to those familiar set pieces and relationships and dynamics because that's the core of the of the series of these movies. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't lose the romance of it, even if you have to suspend disbelief about the the toxic masculinity that's implicit there. Right. You. So I I recognize that, and I'm sure David Slade when he was making this movie uh, did as well that you're gonna have to speak to both camps here. Right. Um, you know, uh, let's at least let's at least alert ourselves to the possibility that these men's imperfections might be something a bit more endemic to masculinity as a as a force in the world. As a force in the world, and I guess you know the other thing that this movie does that's at least a little bit smart is that these two, well, you know, whatever these two creature men, who. <laughs> who have disliked each other for at least two movies are forced to come together to protect the one person they love in this movie. Yeah, and it's you so know, they do have that, to work together. You know, they have to they have to work together, and they even have. I mean, I don't know if David Slade was working in TV at this point, but they have like what they call in TV like a meat locker episode where you get two two people who are antagonistic towards each other. You lock them, sometimes literally in a meat locker, mm-hmm. but it's always in some kind of enclosed, enclosed space. Yeah. Uh, but And they're not literally in a meat locker, but they're kind of free, freezing to death on a mountain, which is... Right. I mean, I suppose they can get out of it, but they can't leave her there because she'll die. I mean, we're jumping ahead a bit, but also that whole scene... That whole scene was a little bothersome just because I thought, you know, the Cullens clearly have money. Has anybody heard of a mummy bag? Because they can you can get a below zero mummy bag. She she doesn't need one man to be right next to her with his wolf heat to save her life. As like, a professional camper, Mike, that scene must have really bumped. It me. really got under my skin. I did not like e- it because even I was I was noticing, <laughs> you know, some of the implausibilities. You I, must have been. Uh, it's like, yeah, don't put that in the tent peg hole. You you never do that. First of all, she's <laughs> in a tent that helps a lot. Second of all, mummy bag problem solved. Like this is not a problem we should be dealing with. But. She's dead, Mike. I mean, that's that, that's my takeaway from that scene. It's like, we have to wait another two movies before she truly dies, but she's dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I was fully prepared for a for a Dallas-style reveal that she'd been dead <laughs> for the last two movies. Well, <laughs> and then when great. she wakes up on that table, it's, you know, because they found a dead on a mountain frozen to death. <laughs> I mean, you know, do- dogs, I have a dog, dogs, are, they, they, you know, you can snuggle up to a dog and get warm to some extent, but if you have no other means of heating yourself, it's not going to do the trick. <laughs> you know, even if you hand solo it and get inside it, I don't, still don't think you're going to last long. <laughs> That's great. Well, so in our story... You know, we have we have that scene because, you know, we talked about how Victoria is building these youngling vampires. She's building yeah. herself an army. That's right. And you have the other thing that I kind of like about this movie is it gives it the sort of Scooby-Doo element because <laughs> the Cullens are always talking about what's going on in Seattle and we're hearing stories and clearly they're building up an <laughs> army. And so you have that kind of. Well, let's go investigate you know and see what we can find out. And You know what? I have a Scooby-Doo analogy, but for the next movie. Oh, all right. <laughs> so clearly, clearly... Clearly these movies are of, working on a certain level. <laughs> I mean, I, but I also, go with, I also go with Eddie Izzard's contention that 
uh, Scooby and Shaggy are two of the greatest characters in Western drama. Oh yeah, his argue his argument for that is like. As he, he says, because there's really, it's like this. <laughs> I think he says something like, and this is, I think he was being entirely serious, but it is very funny. He sort of says, there's no one that really comes close. I mean, I guess Hamlet, but he <laughs> <laughs> said, but he's pretty one dimensional. It's like when it, I'm like, I'm all over this. You are so right. So. Oh, that's a great. I mean, like, every, you know, we've seen it before. It's like everything comes down to there's that when we did Highlander 2. There was like a scene full of techno babble exposition, mm-hmm. and it all boiled down to Fred in Scooby Doo going, "You go that way, I'll go this way." Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you get a little of that in these movies. I I love the uh, whenever uh, wolves are chasing vampires, and basically, it looks like vampires are in a lot of trouble. But basically, they just got to get to a cliff because they can always yeah. jump to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> of that cliff dust themselves down a team style yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and and um, and you even one have one I... of those chase scenes with victoria in this movie yeah you know one of the things i liked about because I, I i i didn't think that the i mean it's only a year later i didn't think the effects had improved at all i thought the i thought the wolf effects improved ever so slightly maybe ever just so slightly like the tiniest but... bit I'll concede that, but um, what made it more palatable for me, I suppose, is that there was a sense of let's lean into the fantasy and the unreality of it all, rather than you know pretend we're making a Jason Bourne movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm getting more of a sort of Narnia-like feel from the way that the the wolves are, are shot, and the way they're integrated with other people. Like, it feels like we're genuinely in a fantasy. Not that we're, you know, we're in any kind of world like our own. Reality, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought uh, that, yeah. Re- uh, that really, that was that was a nice choice for me because... Um, it helps. It, yeah, it hides a multitude <laughs> of sins if your effects are not on the money. Right. As they, they, and they aren't. Not. Yeah. No. <laughs> and it's still, you know, the action's still a bit bumpy. I mean, 2010, it was de rigueur for that, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, it annoys me the the action in general. I'd say the action is filmed a lot more fluently, a lot more uh, with a lot more excitement and yeah. Because we're impact. like you know, right now we're sort of in the middle of the movie. We get a scene. We well, we see the younglings kind of out of control first. <laughs> they're, <clears throat> yeah, they're they're causing a ruckus in Seattle. But then you also have uh, this training montage for the vampires. Now, yes. it's, it's supposed to be a training montage of the vampires and the wolves. But if you noticed, the wolves just kind of sit off to the side and watch. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, Probably they can't do much else. Yeah. CGI being what it was in 2010. Exactly. <laughs> It's like, this effect is fine if the wolves sit down for the entirety of the movie. I just think it's funny, too, that they have to, they bring them all together and say, we really got, we're like, we got to train. We got to get together. But then they yeah. also, I thought maybe there was a character thing where they were acknowledging, well, let's not have the wolves attack the vampires for the training because one of us might lose our shit and, and, then, <laughs> and then our friendship will dissolve. Yeah, thought... and again, look, it goes back to that weird thing about this, which you don't see in many monster movies, is that 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 they're you know, um, monsters not acting like monsters. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like 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 Hulk if he never turns green, you know, if he's just if he's David Bat. I guess that I guess that's what happens in the Avengers eventually. <laughs> that's one of my my least favorite lines, probably in any movie, and I know Joss Whedon's behind it. Uh, is I think it's the first Avengers movie. I don't remember what character. I think it's Robert Downey Jr. who says to um, Banner, you got that Hulk thing under control, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, why did you say that? I don't like Hulk anymore. And he was my favorite. Anyway. That's great. Um, it's, uh, yeah. Um, but you and, have yeah, like I'm... you know the like, the other thing I like about this movie is is, is it does 
The thing the movie does well is there is this sort of cloud that's constantly hanging over all of our heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of spoke to the uh, Victoria kind of chase thing. That whole thing happens, you know, and this happens several times throughout the series where the Cullens, like, they have to leave their home to go feed. Yeah. Because they, you know, they feed on animals. And there might be either wolves or a Victoria or younglings or whatever it is circling the house waiting for them to leave. And so you have that kind of, uh, you know, kind of a suspense foreboding that, that hangs over a lot of this movie that I think works. Uh, I, li- I like that about this movie. And it's just, a, you're absolutely right. And it's just it's almost slight... noirish. Yeah, well, exact, exactly. And it's like a, it's a, because sl- we talked in the last episode about, you know, there, there's a real disparity between the melodrama of the movie and the way that the actors are playing the characters, mm-hmm. at least the lead actors. Again, Michael Sheen accepted. Um, and that they're, they're, you know, they're 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 going full emo on this one, right? Um, and I forgive all Michael Sheen transgressions, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> have you seen Tron Legacy? I'm sure you have. Oh yeah. I bet you saw that in the theater. Oh yeah, and so did I. Um, <laughs> I said that in a really accusing way, as I remembered that I had also seen it in the in the in the movie theater. Um, and yeah, it's you know, clearly he has that mode of performance that he's willing to bring well, out and when, for... when the matru- when the material is truly terrible. Right, he runs with it, and I. I remember for listeners of the How Dare You podcast, uh, Lady Chu and I talked about this at length for Doolittle, where we couldn't mm. figure out, is he the worst actor in this movie or the best yeah. actor in this movie? Did he figure out how bad this movie was going to be early on and just went with that? <laughs> it's interesting that he's not in this movie. Yeah. The only one he's not in, right? I think so. But I don't you know do what, have, I, uh, And you, that's fine. You do have, but... like... A Spectre, James Bond level, Volturi kind of espionage kind of thing going on. And I, I think yeah. that's kind of fun, too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's the, the best the best place for them. But but the point I was making, and it's really just a follow up on your point, is uh, with a slight shift of emph- emphasis, you could turn the emo into an antihero very easily. And mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more interesting. All right. Well, let's take a and second break. And by a lot break. more interesting, I mean interesting. <laughs> it would climb over the hump into the territory of interesting. All yes. right, we're going to take a second break, everybody. <laughs> and then we'll come back. And uh, I think it's time to talk about this final battle. Oh, yeah. Didn't All right. see it coming. We'll be right back after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 2010 sequel, Eclipse. Mm. 
Now we're we're basically we're kind of at this last fight, but there's a couple of things I want to give some time to Tom. Yeah. One were were one of your notes like mine when we were at the I believe it was a campfire. Mm-hmm. And all the Native Americans and they start telling the the ancient stories. Yes. And how how a woman saved her husband from a terrible vampire. Did you, like me, write down, I wonder if we see this come to life in our story? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to call back to that, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was the only clunky piece of writing I really saw in this movie. It's one of the few where the, the clunkiness is not uh, apologized for. Right, like yeah. you know, putting the that great putting the line in does doesn't he ever wear a shirt? I think is, <laughs> you know, it's like we're we're our own critics. Well, we'll, right. we'll do it that way. Um, you're absolutely right. However, one of I I did one of my overall notes, not just about this movie, but about how it uses the vampire genre in a really interesting way, is. I think one of the great aspects of vampire movies is the Highlander dimension. God, we talked about Highlander a lot. Um, <laughs> the fact that you know they're they're immortal, so you can you can have you can do history, mm-hmm. and you can also mix genres. Well, that was one that was one of the other things I wanted to ask you about yeah. because they they start that in this movie where they have. You know, I thought we were going to get the origin story of the entire Cullen family. We only really get like three people and we don't get we don't get, you know, Edwards until the next movie. Yeah. But we get two origin stories in this movie. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, I I think that's less less about, you know, doing backstory and origin story as obviously an element of that than it is just kind of opening up. The possibilities of where you can go with a vampire movie, okay, uh, right. because it's like two very, it's like two distinct period drama settings, like the raw, like early, right, like urban, early twentieth century urban America and the Wild West. Mm-hmm. So you've got genre mixing, you've got you've got a history movie in there as well. You've also got one of the best actors in the series. In yet another thankless role, which is Jack Houston as the period right. drama racist. Yeah, I mean, and at that time, I, I believe at that time he's also doing Boardwalk Empire in pretty much the same era. Right, probably even the right. same jacket. <laughs> and this, this is, I mean, if you have seen Jack Houston, his performance in Boardwalk Empire, I mean. You know that Mel Gibson movie about the man with half a face disappears off the face of the planet um, as soon as you see his. <laughs> if you see you see Jack Houston play a war a war veteran in um, Boardwalk Empire, but also I just remember him being in a lot of thankless roles, like in The Irishman, he's Robert Kennedy for like ten seconds. And ten like, seconds, exactly right. And don't they also do that in with Stephen Graham in The Irishman as well? It's like that's what you're gonna do with Stephen Graham. <laughs> Rob Reiner had a better role in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, largely thankless. But for for me as a spectator, I'm like, eh, there's one of my favorite modern day actors in a in, in a very entertaining sequence. It's, in my favorite Twilight Saga movie. In my favorite tri- Twilight Saga movie in a sequence which doesn't really add anything except that it absolutely does. <laughs> so I like that extra kind of historical color and the ability to like turn into a different movie for like three minutes and go back to this movie. Like, Whoa, okay. No, and that's one of the reasons. That's a, yeah, it's just another reason why I liked this movie. I did. I just did think it was strange that we didn't get through the whole Cullen family. Not necessarily through this movie, but over the next couple of movies, I thought that would happen, and it didn't. I wonder if there's like an extended cut of this movie that's like the um the the, right. the fabled twin peaks fire walk with me like four hour cut where it's just like every character yeah. every character in twin peaks gets like one scene yeah <laughs> i but um but yeah just having that on the fringes of the movie it's like you know you know your movie's good when this is sort of like an optional pleasure 
mm-hmm. in an, a movie that's already got all the pleasures of New Moon plus a totally different take on the same themes. Yeah. It's great. Really, this is really, uh, this is one of the big surprises probably of this podcast that I like this movie so much. It's definitely this series, Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not as good as Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Few movies but... are, as we established. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But in in continuing but, the sort of mirror image, but, Harry Potterness right. of it, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, this is just a funny note that I made, but because, you know, for, I think it's really just in the first movie. Maybe, maybe it's played up a little bit in New Moon. There's an awful lot of talk about Bella being a vegetarian. <laughs> and then she, of course, wants to be made a, a vampire. So I just made a note that 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 this is just all meat propaganda. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a, a, a British cartoon from, I think, like the 80s and 90s um, called Count Duckula. Oh, no. Which is about, about a duck vampire who was, he was like, he was created and they used ketchup instead of blood and so when when he's when he right you know when he rises from the grave he he won't drink blood he's um a vegetarian vampire that's correct so maybe that's where they go hey scooby-doo count duckula yeah um but yeah no absolutely <laughs> that also explains a lot about a scene from the next movie that i will talk about but not now all that right that involves meat and bella Ma- make a note <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I know what we're talking about. It's very clear. Um, it's very clear she's a vegetarian. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, so we're basically at our huge battle, right? Yeah, which I enjoyed, but it also felt like a little bit of a footnote to a final act that, once again, mm-hmm. has many fantastic character curveballs that are thrown in last minute. Well, and do we want to go more in depth? Do we want to go more in depth with two boys and a girl in a tent before we get to that fight? I think we've said it. I think we've said it We've spoken to it, but but You know, she's freezing to death. They're deciding what to do with her life if she survives. That's basically it. (laughs) Okay. It's it's the meat locker, but on a mountain. In the open air. Right. So, as a set piece, though, you just think that the fight's fine, or...? I loved it. I just... What I also love about these movies is that it's never... Like, the battle, you know, think about Lord of the Rings, where you're like, oh, I hope the walking ends soon so we can go to a battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here, I'm just, like, loving everything around the fringes of the battle as much as the battle itself. Yeah. Like, the fact that the fast vampires can, like, stop and let the characters do their, you know, figure out their love triangle. (laughs) You know, leave just (laughs) enough time for that. I'm like, yes, this is what these movies are about. This is why they work for me. Right. Is that they can stop the, you know, they'll stop the, the horror and start the romance, and then stop mm-hmm. the romance. It's really interesting. I I, re- I heard a discussion about American Werewolf in London um, on the podcast with Gawley and Rust. Fantastic podcast. But they were talking about the theory of making horror comedy is that you never mix the two. You make the horror as horrific as it can be, and the comedy as funny as it can right. be. And here I think something is the same with the way that romance and horror work together. Like certainly the horror is not as horrific as it well, can yeah, be. Well, yeah, it's not as within context. It's like this movie is like pushing it as far as they can go with a PG thirteen movie, basically. Yeah, but certainly with the when the romance of, well, and it's funny too because they never they never know, like they never contaminate the romance with horror. Like that's what right, and that's that's the thing that gets me every time. I'm like, you stop and you let them do their thing, and then the danger happens afterwards. Or before mm-hmm. it, it, it's just like it's so satisfying because you get when it's done well, like in this movie, you get the best of both, right? 
And you never, well, and you never get something... that like, oh, it's just like, oh, no, but I don't want this to end. You know, you'll be like, now mm-hmm. I want it to end. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and I, you know, speaking just specifically to actual horror in the movie. Yeah. Because most of the horror happens to either a wolf or a vampire. And the vampires especially, there's a, san- you know, there's a, a sanitization yeah. of it. You know, where their their faces crack but can repair themselves. Mm. Or limbs and heads can be torn off, but there's no blood. Yeah. That's you know, the... it's just like kind of breaking a mirror. Yeah. And, and that, that's the extent of the horror. So in that way... Even though terrible things are happening, yeah. uh, you don't have to, you know, it's not like watching a crucifix go into a small child's private parts while a demon yells at you. But you, 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 know? but you could argue that you could also argue that this is this the fact that this is PG-13 and, and you know, the the audience for it, that you you want to go in a more restrained horror direction. And you I mean, the other movies don't do this, but one of the things that's great about the horror in this movie is it's largely suspense driven. So you yeah. get a, you get like a John Carpenter's Halloween effect where it's like mm-hmm. not much blood in that movie. Scary as fuck. Yeah. No blood in that movie. No really. blood in that movie. Scary as fuck. I mean, very little, but most yeah. or mostly like 99% suspense driven scares. Right. Right. And in the few instances that we have that here, I mean, when, when the, when the Seattle, Seattle born vampire, is skulking around that the vampire house, the Cullen house. Mm-hmm. It's pretty scary. I mean, for for what it, it's pretty heightened. Like, there's a sense of menace about it that the other movies in this series just don't have. Don't have right. Uh, and so I think they. It seems to me like they really worked hard on that that element of it, so that when you got anything that came close to horror, it felt legitimate as a and I guess that's what I mean about, like, we make the horror good and we make the romance good. But we don't, like, you know, we don't have, like, a, uh, you know, a kissing scene where someone gets bitten on the neck, you know. Right, like, yeah. Like, you know, right. out of the blue. Because that's not this movie. You know, that's not these movies. You actually want the breathing room that the romance provides. You want the delin- the delineation between the two. I think so. And they do that, yeah. And I think they do. I think they do. I mean, they do most successfully here because they're firing on both cylinders. <laughs> to restrain myself from saying all cylinders, <laughs> there are some cylinders that are not firing. They're firing on two cylinders. <laughs> they're firing on, on exactly two cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, now, how about uh, you know, for our separate, for our 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 actual monsters. In this movie, what about that storyline of, uh, you know, our cold open opens? I forget that character's name. Who's, who's that boy that gets made into a vampire? I want to say Matthew, but I think he just looks like a Matthew. <laughs> All right, we'll say Matthew. It's like everyone that... who's called Matthew in anything, right? And he's being brought along by Victoria, yeah. and she's obviously sold him a bill of goods. Yes, real, real Anne Rice stuff going on there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, which, which I liked because, of course, you know. I was just gonna say, I, like, I thought that all of that played out well. Because you know, Twilight is seen as the 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 poor woman's Anne Rice by some distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and you know, I haven't read the books either, and neither of you, so we can't comment. We can't speak to that. But we can right. say that within the frame of this movie, they kind of meet in the middle. Like they they come down this one movie this one movie yeah absolutely but those kind <laughs> right. you know it's like those kinds of and also you know this is the movie as well where Dakota Fanning comes into focus yeah a little bit more as right as the as the the real villain the the, the credible villain <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess because Victoria's like disappearing from the story she's coming in um and she will go on to be my like joint favorite performance in this because yeah she's so great but again she's so grounded this whole... and like <laughs> for that yeah for that to come from a former child star is something special i think yeah i'll agree with that completely the only other lingering uh, don't like that so much is once again 
this whole story is happening because the the Volturi are like doing their behind the scenes espionage. They're just letting this army get built mm-hmm. because they want the Cullens to die, but they want them to die because they think they're uh, doing shit that they shouldn't be doing, which could have been cleared up by message. You know, it's just like once again. Everything that's happening in this movie is just based on a misunderstanding. But but at least in that espionage context that you're talking about, those kinds of misunderstandings are sort of the the the, yes. the meat of the matter. You know, it's like that's why I give this one a more of a pass, pass than I in agree. the other yeah. movies. Right? Yeah. That's it. It's like a slight change of emphasis, generically or tonally, makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I I also I I but you know going back to to where you just you're just trying to double down on what New Moon does good. Great last minute curveballs here again. <laughs> like oh, I just love I just I love you know we it's like oh we're not gonna get the battle oh we will get a battle, but some stuff will come out in the battle that has nothing to do with the battle that's really interesting. Right, like plot <laughs> developments. In the loosest possible terms. It's like Dakota Fanning. <laughs> Dakota Fanning arrives. I'm like, didn't see this coming. Jacob gets attacked. Didn't see that coming. Uh huh. And then, then I'm like, oh, they've set the date for the wedding, which is really what this is all about, you know? Yeah. Because this is their long engagement. This movie, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's between because the last movie ends with with Edward the proposing. Proposal. This movie be, ends with the date being set. So, if you think of it in those terms, very so little happens. It's... Right. <laughs> this should have... I, th- I thought, you know, the, the wedding happened at the beginning of this movie, but clearly not. Nope, no. You gotta wait one more, my friend. With not much in between of substance. <laughs> and yet... <laughs> boy, do they... Boy, do they make it work. Well, and then, yeah, they... they I... There's there's just something in the tone and the the like you said the tiniest choices made, yeah. And doesn't it feel like this is like, don't we credit David Slade for this? I think for a lot of it, and you, you know, you never there's that there's that terrible kind of auteur criticism tendency to read what you're seeing through what else they've done, but mm-hmm. it's hard to see that. It's hard to deny that it all seems to be connected to to a man who's able to do a Black Mirror episode, to a man who's able to do a Breaking Bad episode, to make movies like Hard Candy, which are like kind of like dark, like a a basic teen movie, but ripped it, you know, but, ripped right. out of itself in a dark way. Yeah. I was like, well, that all fits. Um, so I think so. He's certainly responsible for the actors just looking a little more interested, the action just being that little more accomplished when it's when yeah. it appears. Um, and I even because you lo- get that sense in that last fight with between Victoria, like you know, you have Edward there, you have Jacob there, yeah. you have Matthew and and Victoria. Um, and of, definitely. And, and of, now I'm thinking about it. He's definitely not called Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think. I, but, yeah, carry on. <laughs> but I, all all I was gonna say was, uh, and of course the you know she slices her own arm, which you know saves some lives, yeah. and and um. Smart but it's move. a it's a good last fight scene. Yeah, it it is, it is, but it's not the last thing in the movie. And the movie knows that what people are really yeah. interested in is when's the wedding. Yeah. Um. I like. We won't I, let that pass. I suppose the last the last time like they they push something that's been established as as unbreakable to its limits is. You know, it looks like there's a moment when they're gonna have premarital sex, mm-hmm. and then they pull away from it. Well, they pull out to the last minute, I should say. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I, I guess that's this movie all over. That's the game of this movie. It's like we want you to think that this could happen, but of course it could never happen because sexual chastity is 
what is all that these movies are about essentially are about right um but so even in even though we've gone back to the flower fields we've got another insipid christian stewart monologue we're doing all the things that we that you know (laughs) that we we are accustomed to retwilight it um yeah there's always like a sense of like we just want that shell to crack a little bit um <laughs> and also you know and it's also anticipating where we're going because you know where, what's going to happen they right. will have sex and um uh spoiler alert they will have sex and um and i think this movie again i i, li- I like the fact you you get the sense of one this this series does serial storytelling really well because mm-hmm. when one story is disappearing another one is kind of rearing it's, it's like it's, it's rising right, over the right, horizon just, yeah. they pass each other like ships in the night like the yeah. fanning comes in just as victoria is receding mm-hmm. um you know it's like literally this is an end point to the story in terms of like in terms of like the the vampire werewolf war so we've got to suggest that something is uh something is going to happen next even beyond the wedding which is obviously like the main um selling point but it's like we're going somewhere else in the story and this movie sets sets uh, and i think new moon did as well sets up that idea of like serial storytelling really well and yeah as we've alluded to before like this i suppose the first three movies work together really well as one story but certainly the two sequels the first two sequels new moon and eclipse feel like two sides of the same coin right even more so than breaking dawn the actual multi-part the actual multi-part which we're gonna get to next we are yeah all well, right. This is the peak, everyone. This is uh, we will, we, we will. It's downhill from here, but uh, it is, it is. But you know, it's yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get there. But I'm already. Uh, this is what a good movie, a thoroughly good movie series, does to you. I'm already reconsidering my rankings. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I was. I, that's so funny. You were thinking that this is a thoroughly good thing. series, and you're gonna change it up from from. Oh no, not that. To but just good, just where I rank good. them. I you know. No, I heard you say I, it. I thought, it's on. It's on the podcast. No, 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 no. You misunderstood. <laughs> Go and fuck podcast yourself. Podcast can be used in court. I assume. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. If you have something to add, please let us know. We want to know your thoughts on Eclipse. So, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram or Twitter, send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Award. Say goodbye, Tom. What did I say about a low profile? (laughs) That's fantastic. It's a good vampire movie. That is a, it's a good fucking movie. All right, everyone, uh, you'll be hearing us next time for Breaking Dawn, part one. Take care.